Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org. Wow. Come on. Good morning. Wow. I don't even got to preach now. I was going to preach on hope, but y'all just got it, so go home. <laughs> Live off of those testimonies. My goodness. It's exciting. Wow. Where do I begin, Kenny? It's good to see you, man. We got, that, we got a text saying Kenny went down at work. He's unresponsive, and it ain't looking good. And Stephanie's gone on vacation. Ain't that usually how it works? The women leave, us men just fall apart. <laughs> we don't even know what to do. <laughs> oh, man. And it just so happened he went to Glenwood. Ain't that that? And me and Courtney were literally eating lunch right across the street. And we got the text message. We packed up, jumped across the highway, and was there right after they admitted him, got to be with him and pray with him. It was just, it was awesome. So it's good to see you, brother. That was, that was a scary ordeal. It was a scary ordeal. Uh, but God is good. Yeah, these testimonies got me amped up right now. I am telling y'all. Plus, I'm a little, still a little amped up from last night. House church was wild. It was so good. So I want to talk to y'all about hope again today. Last time we were together, we talked about hope. And I actually got a lot of really awesome feedback from some of you, some texts and different things of people just really diving into this. And I believe that God is restoring a foundation of hope back into the church. Uh, I believe if we were honest and did a consensus of the modern day church, specifically in the South, it's very hopeless. It's just a hopeless approach. Uh, a lot is built around that hopeless, so much so that I believe our eschatology has even been built around a hopeless mindset. And I believe this year God is wanting to restore hope back in the church. And today we're going to do some teaching. I know last week we just kind of jumped around, threw out some good scriptures and shouted about it, and it was fun, or the week before last. This morning I want to do some teaching. Can we take some time and break some stuff down? I believe teaching and discipleship is what sustains revival and sustains a culture. Repetition is important. Let me say that again. Repetition is important. If you just read a scripture and never learn it, it did you no good. All you did was puff up yourself and say, I read my Bible today. Okay? Repetition. I don't need you to read ten verses a day. I need you to memorize one verse. You feel me? He said, I will hide your word in my heart. It will become a part of who I am. So repetition is key. It's important. So you'll probably get a lot of that this year, uh, especially me just loving to teach, okay? So we're going to go back into hope. I'm going to do just a little bit of uh, just recall from the last time we were together to build this foundation. And I hope, I hope we make it to 2 Peter, but we'll see, okay? Uh, hope comes from the Greek word elpis, which seems pretty appropriate, right? Which is to anticipate with pleasure. That was good, Josh. Way to go. No, don't. don't. I already did it. <laughs> Expectation or confidence. That's hope. That's real hope. Hope is not a wish. If you're wishing, don't expect for it to come true. We don't serve a genie. We serve a father. Hope is personal and internal. 
So often what happens is you believe in God and that he can do great things. We just hardly ever have hope that he would heal my personal marriage. Come on, we're going to get into this, y'all. The problem is we don't live with a whole lot of expectation or confidence when it comes to us personally. I can believe God for you, but I have very little hope for me. Right? I'm just going to assume you're all agreeing with me. There's most likely a lot of factors that play into this, this idea that we believe that God's big and can do great things. We just have no hope. There's a lot of factors that play into it, but I have to believe that one of the biggest underlying realities is personal responsibility. To have hope requires or creates a response of personal responsibility. See, the problem is we don't want responsibility in the kingdom. We want osmosis. Josh, just let me sit down. And you pray over me, and I become this man of God I'm intended to be. But that's not how it works. The kingdom is responsibility, and I'm getting way ahead of myself. We're going to talk about hope. What if I told you that hope stirs the responsibility of faith? Can I present to you that faith is your responsibility? And hope is what stirs that responsibility. We're going to break into all this. It's going to be fun. Tell you what, let me say, if I truly have hope, expectation, this definition is actually confident expectation, then it will motivate me to respond according to my hope. So I believe faith is merely a response to my hope. If I truly have an expectation that God will move, then by faith I'll move accordingly. Let's, let's add some scripture, all right? How many of you have heard this scripture more times than you can count? Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the... Really? Now faith is the... Of things hoped for and the... Of things not seen. So faith is the substance and the evidence of what? Things hoped for. How many of you have heard this scripture un, just so many times, but you've never heard someone teach on hope out of it? We've always taught on faith, right? Every time you see this scripture, we start going into substance and evidence, and we're going to actually go into that today. <laughs> but we go into all that, and it's all about the faith. But I need you to understand something from this scripture, okay? Faith is substance and evidence of what? It's of things hoped for, which according to this scripture is not seen. Why is hope personal and internal? Because you can't see hope. No one around you can see hope in you. What they can see is faith. Because faith is external. Right? So let's do this. Let's start with evidence. We all know what evidence means, right? It's proof. Yes. <laughs> evidence is proof. We've all heard the saying, if you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prove you guilty? What if I said you were on trial for having hope? Would there be any evidence? Would there be evi any evidence in your life that you live a life of hope? Stick to my notes. Let me ask you this according to that question. If you ask yourself, is there enough evidence to prove me guilty of living in hope, and you remember that hope is 100% of the time connected to peace, 
would there be evidence in your life that you live a hopeful life? Because if there's a lack of peace, there's no evidence of hope. Hope is always connected to peace, no matter what. So what is the evidence or the proof that I have hope? My faith. Faith is the evidence of a hope that you cannot see. Right? Let me tell you this. There's two ways. You know it's going to get real when I come up here with two notebooks. There's two ways of approaching Scripture, right? Exegesis and eisegesis. I hope I'm saying that second one right. An exegesis is discovering the meaning of text objectively, starting with the text and moving out from there. In other words, I don't come to the text with a preconceived idea of what it's supposed to mean. All right? That's an exegesis. An eisegesis is the interpretation of text by reading into one's own ideas. See, what happens is most of the time we come to the Scripture and we read it through our own ideas. In other words, I can come up with an idea and pick out another dif- enough different Scriptures to prove my point. Taking all those Scriptures outside of context and proving what I want it to say. So, so what I want to do this morning, I want us to be careful to approach this, this text exegetically and just allow the text to tell us what it's saying, not what we think the text should say. Deal? So when we look at this and we see now faith is the substance, the evidence of things hoped for, things that are not seen, you learn immediately that your hope is something that is not seen. What you're hoping for cannot be seen by the people around you. So the only way to prove I have hope is to live by faith. The only example, the only proof, the only evidence that I am a hopeful person is that I live in faith. If you don't live a life of faith, then you're proving that you have no hope. This is just the scripture. Wow. So faith is a substance. It's an evidence. Evident, it's a proof. Faith is outward and expressive. James said, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Because faith without works is, doesn't exist, is what he's saying. There's no such thing as a faith that doesn't act itself out. Because the only way faith can be seen is by what I do. It's external. Okay? So hope is the internal invisible thing. Faith is the external outward expression, right? So when we begin to look at this scripture, uh, I was talking to one of my good friends this week, Stephen Taylor, and we were going back and forth on this idea of hope. And he was saying, man, I've been in this same thing for weeks, it feels like, of just a, a study of hope and figuring out hope. And he made this statement, and I had to write it down and share it with you guys. And he said in, in, in our conversation, he said, uh, let me find it again. Faith builds what hope expects. Get what I'm saying? Hope is the invisible thing that I want. Faith is what starts building for it to be manifested. You with me? So based on that understanding, hope can only be proved when I, by faith, begin to frame up what I'm confidently expecting. In other words, hope being proved by faith is a mom building a nursery for a kid when the doctor has said, you can't have another kid. 
See, her hope is to have another kid. But we don't see that hope until she, by faith, begins to build a nursery. But do you understand, you can't build the nursery by faith without having the hope. So the hope can't build what faith doesn't expect. Do faith can't build what hope doesn't expect. Hope is the foundation. It's the thing within us that begins to stir up my movement of faith. I feel like too often we're trying to jump into this faith movement when we really, in reality, have no hope. So it just becomes a lot of rigorous action. Let me just do some things so it looks like I have faith. No, it doesn't. It looks like you're working yourself into the ground. But when I have hope, it stirs up some reactions of faith that are not me putting on a front. It's me responding to what's inside me. Faith is the response to the hope that I have inside. Faith being, or hope being expressed through faith had the woman in the Old Testament with a dead child saying, all is well, while she was going to get the prophet. The hope within her had her declaring something. And we would have never known the hope if we wouldn't have seen her declare it. The problem wasn't her faith. The, 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 the initiation was not her faith, it was her hope, her expectation that if I go to the prophet, he's going to make this right. So by hope, she declared in faith, all is well. All is well. Substance. Let's look at substance. Substance actually comes from two words, sub and stance, which in reality means to stand under. Or support. If you take it all the way back to its origin in Latin, it means standing firm. If you look at the Greek word where we translated it to substance, which is hypostasis, pretty sure I didn't say that right, it means setting under. Why did I give you all those definitions? Because I'm a nerd and I like that stuff. But I went through all that to show you that faith is standing firm in supporting what you're hoping for. Faith is when I learn to stand firm. And in standing firm, it supports, proves, becomes the evidence of what I'm hoping for on the inside. This goes both ways. You can say you have faith because you're doing a lot of stuff, when in reality, inward, you have no hope. And vice versa. You see what I'm saying? They both need one another. Your hope within you has to be what stirs up the action outside of you. Doing stuff for the sake of doing stuff has gotten us nowhere. But when there's a hope restored in us, and that hope within me begins to stir me up to move by faith, things that Things have to be hoped for before faith can support it, prove it, or start building it. You have to have the hope of it before faith can connect to it. Faith is the substance. It's the support. It's what stands firm based on what I'm hoping for. So I believe in a lot of situations, the problem is not our faith, it's our hope. You're willing to do something, to move, to go, to, to whatever it may be, but you're not hoping for anything. And when you have no hope, I heard uh, Lacey said it yesterday. We were at her house talking about some of this. And she said, when we don't have this hope, it keeps us from dreaming. 
because you have no hope of what's going to happen, so you can't even dream with God. And God is a dreamer. God's always dreaming up plans and ideas and big things for your life. His, his goal is never nominal. It's never within your grasp and within what you can do. But you can't dream for that because we don't have the hope for it. We don't have the hope, the confident expectation that He's going to do these things in our life. And therefore, there's no response in faith. There's no setting myself up for that big move, making the plans for that thing that he wants to do in my life. When I have no hope that God will heal my marriage, I won't take the required steps to do my part in healing my marriage because there's no hope. But hope. One of the scriptures that came up yesterday and we were talking, and I don't know why I didn't put it in my notes somewhere, is where it says, and Abraham against hope believed in hope. When everything was stacked up against him, Kenny, when he couldn't find any natural reason around him to have a confident expectation, he chose to be confidently expectant in what God had said. We need hope back in the church. We need people to read the word of God and be filled with hope. If you can read the promises of God in your Bible and it not stir hope within you, you need to be saved. You need an encounter with the Holy Spirit that causes those promises to come alive on the inside of you in such a way that you begin to respond by faith according to those promises. He says that I am the head and not the tail, the lender and not the borrower, the first and not the last. I am above and not believe. Those are my promises, and those promises stir hope in me. And in that hope, I begin to respond according to what his word says, not according to what my situation is saying. But it begins with hope. Because without hope, what does your faith have to prove? Without an expectation that God's about to do something, what does your faith have? Our faith is sitting around idle most of the time, waiting for some hope that it can attach itself to. God's restoring, restoring hope back to His church. As a matter of fact, I'm reminded of the story in 1 Samuel 17 where young David shows up to fight against the Philistines. And everyone else is hiding in the rocks while Goliath taunts them. David is incensed by, the, by, by what is being said towards God's people, and he asks, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that would defy the armies of the living God? I love David. Me and Stephen were in the truck the other day, headed to Monroe, just having us a guy's day, and going to get haircuts and buy Legos, you know, the important things. And we were in the truck, having, me and him were just having a conversation, and we got to talking about people in the Bible, people we look up to in the Bible, and who we like. And I was like, who's your favorite person in the Bible? He was like, uh, Jesus. <laughs> That's exactly how he said it. I was like, well, that, that one's obvious. I was like, other than Jesus. And then he was like, I like Moses. You know, Moses did some cool stuff. I was like, yeah. And then, well, actually, he said, I like Moses because of what Jesus did. I was like, wait a second, we just moved from Jesus to Moses. What are you talking about? He's like, oh, you know, Moses threw his stick down and Jesus turned it to a snake. You're right. <laughs> Some pretty sound theology, actually. Uh, and he just, we were just having this conversation, and, and, and the conversation, of course, we ended up talking about David, and I was telling him, I love David because I just love the confidence that David lived in. Just when he found himself in situations, he was confidently expectant that God was going to do something. It was never a confidence in, oh, I'm so good, because all of life told me what, and he was the smallest, he was, you know what I mean, he was the last to be picked, he, all these reasons. But for some reason, because of his connection to the Father, he lived with this confident expectation. I believe he lived in such a hope. 
I believe that's also why he penned in the Psalms that your hope will give my flesh rest. So he lived in this hope. And he shows up in this moment. And everybody's hiding in the rocks. And this little boy full of hope just shows up on the scene. And I loved it. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Do you realize that all the Philistines were uncircumcised? But I like how David just calls it out. You know what he was calling out? Who's this guy that has no covenant with my God? That's what he was saying. Hey, don't forget, you're not in the same covenant I'm in. That was way better than your response. See, the problem is a lot of us are threatened by things that are not in covenant with the same God we are. And you'll hide in fear of something that's not in covenant with your father. And when your father's in covenant with you and not with that, guess who wins? Greater is he who is in covenant than he who is not. So he said, listen here, big fella, guy with no covenant. Who do you think you are to speak to me that way? Mm, David is awesome. He said, who is this that would defy the, living, the, the armies of the living God? And next, Eliab, David's oldest brother, rebuked David for being there. David, what are you doing here? You ain't supposed to be here. You're just here to get a bunch of attention. Leave it alone, Josh. Leave it alone. You're just here to get a bunch of attention. And David's response is what's so incredible. David looks at his brother and says, is there not a cause? In other words, do you not understand the reason I'm standing here? In David's mind, according to the cause, this was the natural response. I want to submit to you that hope is the cause of faith. Why are you moving in faith? Is there not a cause? Do you not understand that my hope is causing me to step out in faith? Do you not understand that I am so confidently expected of what God would do that it's causing me to step out in faith? So when we look around and we see a faithless generation, Jesus called it, we see a moment or a movement that is lacking in faith, the question is, is there not a cause? Is there no hope that would stir us to a place of faith? Is there no hope that would put you on your knees praying for your family that is lost? Is there no hope that would put you in a fast praying for your city who is lost? Is there no hope that would cause you to be stirred by faith to do something? Is there no cause in your life? Is there no hope in your life? What if we stopped and examined our lives to see if we were living in faith and in realizing that we're not, stopped and said, it's because I actually have no hope. You know, I've heard statements because uh, we like to be involved in the community and, and do as much as we can and help as much as we can. But in doing so, we've heard statements of, yeah, but it's so far gone and there's so many problems and there's so many issues. And see, what that is, is that's a hopelessness that gives me permission to be lazy. See, when we have no hope, we will come up with a good excuse of why I'm not doing anything. When in reality, lazy is not the issue, it's hope. Because according to, I think it's Romans 1, 1 Romans 5, 1 through 5, I think it's in those scriptures. I've read so many hope scriptures this week. It literally proves that hope will keep you from being lazy. It goes on to say that we not become sluggish. When I'm living hopeful, it keeps me from becoming sluggish. And the hope for my community keeps me in my community. The problem is not, do you 
Hmm, how do I say that? The problem is not do you have the ability or do you have something to offer or none of those things. It's not about a team or a ministry or none of it's it's about hope. And if I really had hope for the situation, I would put myself in the middle of the situation. But when we don't have hope, we find reasons to back out. We find reasons to avoid it. In our own personal lives, in our marriages, we tend to avoid certain situations in our marriage because in reality, we just don't have hope for it. But if I had hope that that moment, that thing, that time in my marriage could be reversed, healed, corrected, then I would personally insert myself into that moment. It's the responsibility of faith. It's the responsibility of faith that when I have hope for a situation, my what Paul called my reasonable service is to insert myself into it because I have a hope that he's going to do something about it. I'm expecting him to change it. Do you know why a lot of us don't just pray for the sick in public? Because we don't have the hope that he's going to heal them. Because if I was so confident and my hope was built on the fact that you're supposed to be healed, then by faith I would respond to that hope. So next time you're in that place and you think it's the shyness or being uncomfortable or being out of your element that's really holding you back and you're saying, I wish I wasn't shy and I wish I wouldn't be uncomfortable, forget all that and wipe it off the table. Really what you need to say is, God, I need you to stir my hope because clearly there's something in me that says you're not going to come through. And when I don't have the hope you'll come through, I come up with a good theology that backs me out of the situation. It's hope. It begins in hope. Hope anchors me. It holds me steady. Hope keeps me from going backwards out of the situation he's called me into. Hope keeps me from being sluggish and lazy. Faith is hope in action. A cause. Do you not have a cause in your life? Do you not have that hope within you? That hope for your marriage, that hope for your community, that hope for your church, that hope for your family, that hope for your kids, that hope that pulls me into a place. The only response to hope is faith. That's the only response. Because faith is the only proof that you have hope. In reality, our inability to move by faith is the declaration that we're hopeless. Bottom line. Because I believe hope is such a powerful thing that it will overcome most of the insecurities in our life. You know why I'm so convicted of this now? Because the Bible teaches me that it is Christ that is the hope of glory. And do you not think Christ is strong enough to overcome your insecurity? See, the problem is we thought hope was a wish. And wishes are fleeting and wishes are based on me. But hope is not. Hope is based on Jesus Christ. And it says it's the anchor for my soul that goes into the mercy seat where he went and put his blood. That's pretty steadfast. (laughs) That's a pretty powerful hope. It's not... I wish this would happen. It's, I am so expectant of this that I start moving accordingly. That's so good. I start making preparations. 
for what God's about to do in my life because I expect it so much. Some of us are still broke because we have no hope we'll never be broke. So I don't put together a budget. I don't try to spend better because, well, it's just the way it's always been. It's the way I'll always be. It's a lack of hope. But what if we had so much hope in our finances, we started saying, let me put it this way, what if your wife, like mine, had so much hope in our finances that she started saying, you can't eat out every single day. You need to stay home every now and then. What if that became our reality and I began to partner, put my responsibility of partnership with what God declared over my life? Let me be honest with you guys. In December... Well, actually, in October, I got up here and talked to you about just the personal revival that I felt like God was allowing me to live in by grace, relationally, financially. In December, <laughs> let's just say the month was longer than the check. You ever been there? Some of you are like, I'm there right now. We're talking about it's only six days in. I'm broke. <laughs> but it ended up in that place. And do you know what convicted me the most? about being in this place of not having an extra finances, I found myself in a position where I could bless, somebody needed a blessing. I ran into somebody that needed some help financially, and I couldn't help them because I was stupid with my money. Is that God's fault? No, no, because God told me I was the lender and not the borrower. God said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But I was so caught up on receiving, I kept receiving without giving. And when you don't give, you go broke. You didn't hear me. When you don't give, you go broke. If you don't have a giving lifestyle, you live broke. Even if you have a lot of money. <laughs> Just throwing in all my junk out there in front of y'all. But I was so convicted by the fact that I should have been able to bless someone, but because of my own ignorance, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And it wasn't the intentions of God. Back to hope. Oh, man. All right, let's throw this out here and deal with it. David had such a confident expectation, a hope, that he started picking up rocks and yelling at Goliath. That was the evidence of the hope that was in him. He so believed he was going to kill Goliath that he gathered the materials and he told Goliath what he was going to do. I love this. Some of you need to look at the situation that you're going through right now and from a place of hope, begin to tell it, I'm about to cut your head off. That sword you're, you're pointing at me right now, I'm going to take that same sword and I'm going to crawl up on top of you and I'm going to cut your head off with it. But here's the thing. You can't quote it because it sounds good. You have to have the hope of it. You have to be so confident because if David wouldn't have had hope, guess what would have happened? Goliath would have smushed him like a bug. But it was the hope within him that God would defeat that giant and all he had to do was play his part. It's hope that, 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 that catapults me into my role. Let me, let me give you this... Uh, Let me give you this statement, and we're going to deal with this. Hope stirs my faith. That's pretty much what we've been dealing with this whole time. Hope stirs my faith, and acting in faith increases my hope. This is so good. 
Hope is what causes me to just want to do something in faith. And then when I respond in faith, it just gives me more hope. Let's keep using David's life to prove this, okay? David's hope calls him to, by faith, take on the bear and the lion. By moving in faith against the bear and the lion, it gave him an increased hope to take on Goliath. Hope and faith need each other. Every time you have a moment where hope is stirred up in you, and you feel like, oh, I just want to move by faith. I want to talk to that person, pray for that person, invest in that situation. Whatever it may be, I want to go into my prayer closet and just declare this. And that hope is in you stirring. And you act on it by faith. In doing so, the hope that you had goes up a notch. And then you go from, man, I took on that bear to, I bet I could take on that giant now. The problem is, we're trying to get our faith straight to the giant when we haven't had hope for the bear. This is too real. You want to come in, us say a prayer, and you go out and be Smith Wigglesworth and raise people from the dead and declare things and all this kind of stuff, when in reality, you haven't hoped that God would heal your own mind. So how do you expect to go from no hope for your own mind to declaring peace over someone else's life? The Bible teaches us that judgment begins in the house of God. Guess what the house of God is? It's not this building. It's you. So this has to work in you before it can work in someone else. You feel me? You have to have hope for you before you can have the hope that frees someone else. Hope and faith need each other. All right. 12.06. I want to take a turn here. I believe I want to use everything we've accomplished from last time we talked about hope to this time to, to lay the foundation for what we're fixing to extract out of Second Peter. And I'm not going to go into the depths of it that I really wanted to for the sake of time. But in the next part of this sermon, whenever that may be, we'll really dive into it deeper. But I want to get this out to you so you can leave with us today. Uh, I'm not going to have Second Peter on the screen. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and go to Second Peter right now. If you haven't done any reading or studying in First and Second Peter, you should. It is a mind grenade. It is some of the most powerful stuff. I made a statement the other day to somebody that our lack of biblical knowledge is proven when we relate to Peter in the Gospels and not First and Second Peter that he wrote. Y'all catch me on that? Your lack of understanding of the Bible is proven when you connect more with Peter from the Gospels than first and second Peter that he wrote because it's two different human beings. Not physically, but based on the Holy Spirit, he's a different person. All right? He goes from swearing about Jesus, saying he doesn't know him, cutting off the dude's ear, to comes out of the upper room in a, play, in a position of power that is unlike any other and begins to declare the gospel and thousands are saved. Okay? So let me release you of something, church. Do not connect yourself to that Peter, the old Peter. You're doing yourself an injustice when you say, oh, well, you know, I was like Peter today. I flew off the handle and said, but Peter got brought around. This, that is not theologically or biblically acceptable, and it is wrong. You feel me? If you want to connect with Peter, go to 1 Peter and 2 Peter and read about what he spoke, okay? That's all side note. It's free. It's just good stuff, Okay? I don't have a Bible up here. Somebody throw me a Bible. 
how did I come up here without a Bible? Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Here's your first promise that should stir hope in you. Are you ready? Seeing that his divine power has granted unto us everything pertaining to life and godliness. That actually breaks down to a life that is devoted to God. You have all the power to live a life that is fully devoted to God. It's already been given to you. Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises. So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Another promise that should stir hope. You have been given promises that by them you become partakers of his divine nature. Do you realize that you were created and designed to live in the same divine nature as God? That is huge. Where are we at? Verse 5. Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith. Y'all's translation is probably different, huh? I just realized I'm in NASB. But actually, I like the way this does it. If you're reading King James Version, it probably says add to your faith, right? That's actually not a good translation when you search this out deeply, okay? When you fall into the word and begin to break this down, a better translation is actually what this one uses. Uh, Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. Yours probably says virtue. You see what I'm saying? Do you see the difference? You don't add to your faith. You, in faith, supply to yourself moral excellence. And it goes through the list. Uh, knowledge, in your knowledge, self-control, and self-control, perseverance, and in perseverance, godliness, and in godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So by your faith, remember what faith is, faith is the proof that I have hope. So if I have hope in my life that I'm called to live in moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly love, kindness. If I have the hope within me that that's what I'm supposed to look like, then by my faith, I begin to supply that into my life. Y'all feel me? Changes it, don't it? It changes your perspective of these scriptures. Uh, For if these qualities are yours, you're increasing and they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. That if by faith you begin to connect with these things that are what you're called to be, you don't live without fruit. You never become fruitless. There's always a fruit being supplied. Fruit is the proof of a living tree. If there's no fruit on your life, I'll let you finish that. The knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9. I know we're going through a lot. We're going to jump back, okay? For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgot his purification from his former sins. i got to show you this. Notice he says if these virtues, these characteristics are not evident in your life, it's not because God didn't put them there. It's because you can't see them. Come on now. Hope is my ability to see what he wants me to be. Hope connects me visually to this is who he's called me to be. And if I don't have the hope, I can't see it. And if I don't see it, I live opposite of it, hopeless. I don't have moral excellence. I don't have a knowledge of him. I don't have perseverance, patience, kindness, because I don't see it in me. 
a lot of us are missing things just because you can't see it in yourself. You may can see it in someone else. How many of you have ever said, man, that's, that's for Lacey. Pooh. She could be so awesome. She could lead that person. She could lead that group. She could speak in it. And we say, that's for Lacey. That's for Lacey. You know what that is? That's personal hopelessness because you can't see it in you. Oh, that's too real, huh? That's too real because we've all did it. Oh, man. The Holy Spirit will stir some idea, some dream up in you. Oh, man, I got to take that to pastor. He would crush that. Pastor wasn't called to crush it. You were. Come on now, stir up some hope in yourself. I want to share what Scott told me this morning about a prophetic thing they did that just really speaks into yourself, but we'll wait. I'll let him do that. Uh, where are we at? For you, lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgot the purification from his ends. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent. Do you realize he said be diligent twice now in these scriptures? What's that? It's personal responsibility. Hope stirs up responsibility. Let me give you this. Religion gives you restrictions. The kingdom gives you responsibilities. Religion will tell you by restriction, don't do these things and you get to go to heaven. But the kingdom will tell you, live in these things and you can live in heaven. You missed it. Religion says if you don't do these things, one day, sweep by and by, you'll get to be with Jesus. The kingdom tells me if I live in these things, then right now I get to be with Jesus. That's just too good. So what happens is we actually end up living a life that's more geared towards the restrictions. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. And so we miss the part where he said whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Absolutely free. Well, how does that connect with the restrictions that I've found? The problem is you don't live according to what you can't do. You live according to now what you get to do. And in what you can do, you live in what you... Oh, my God. Where are we at? I told you all, 2 Peter is loaded. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Oh, that's loaded, Scott. He called you and chose you, and it's your responsibility to prove it. I'm leaving that alone. For as long as you practice these things, this can't be right. This says, I will never stumble. That can't be right. I've been taught all my life, oh, you're going to stumble and fall every day. You just trip around in this world, and one day you'll fall and make it to heaven. Um, is it not? Well, none of us are perfect, brother. We all stumble every day. Must be because you're blind and short-sighted and don't know who you're called to be. That's a lot. That's a lot. You do these things, you'll never stumble. When you can see in hope what I've called you to be, and you by faith partner with those things, you don't stumble. You don't stumble. All right, this is where we're going to wrap this thing up, okay? For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. All right, I have to show you this. When I first read this, I was hung up because it says an entrance will be abundantly supplied. How can an entrance be abundant? I mean, it's a door. It's the entrance. You walk in it, you walk out of it. How can it be abundant? And through talking with Dad and discussing these scriptures, and the Holy Spirit began to unlock and show us that the better translation is not entrance, it's access. Because access can be abundant 
or it can be less, right? For instance, as your children grow, you release and you allow more access to certain things. You see what I'm saying? Like, for instance, right now, we have a lock on our TV because there are certain things that could come up on the TV that we will not allow it to influence our children. So that's restricted access that my son has. As he grows in responsibility and proves himself to be responsible, we start releasing some of the restrictions. Oh, this is fixing to be real. You see what I'm saying? The more responsibility you can handle, the less restrictions you need. Some of you are so bad with responsibility, you need lots of restrictions. You need me to follow you around and say, don't touch that. Don't talk like that. Don't go to that place. Don't. You need that because you have no... But as you grow in personal responsibility, then you don't need someone saying, don't stick your finger in a light socket. Right? How many grown Christians do I feel like we're falling around saying, don't stick your finger in a light socket? Make no provisions for the flesh. Make no provisions for the flesh. Well, I don't know why I keep falling. I used to be an alcoholic and I keep getting drunk everywhere. Quit hanging out with it, with, in, in a bar. I know it's too real so you can't say anything, but I'm just being honest. Well, I struggle with lust and, and impure thoughts. Get off social media. Shut down some things that are filling your mind with those thoughts. Don't make provisions for your flesh because clearly you're not responsible enough to handle it. So as you grow in this, you grow in the responsibility that says, you know what? Now that you've proven yourself in responsibility, God will allow some restrictions to be removed off your life. The kingdom is filled with responsibility. Why am I going from hope to this? Because hope stirs up the responsibility of faith. And when I live from a place of hope, then responsibility is a reasonable service. Does that make sense? My faith being connected to this becomes reasonable service. If I truly lived with the hope that an unrestricted access into his kingdom would be granted to me, I would embrace whatever responsibilities it took for me to access that kingdom. But the problem is we're more convinced that we don't actually have that access. So it gives us permission not to be responsible in that area. I believe hope is going to be the motivator of responsibility. Hope is going to push us into a place that we take on the responsibility of partnering by faith with what God is saying about us. And he's saying, you're virtuous. You have moral excellence. That's what your, that's what your Bible says. Moral excellence, knowledge, long-suffering, perseverance, brotherly kindness. These are all the characteristics that God is saying about you. But without the hope to see that, we don't live with the responsibility of it. I love that first he says, by your faith, supplement or supply all these characteristics, all these things. Then he says, for an entrance, for an unrestricted access will be supplied when these things have been added, supplemented to you by faith. It's such an incredible thing. When I think of, and I'm going to wrap up with this, 
when I think of unrestricted access, to me that is, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, prosperity. I know prosperity has taken on a lot of characteristics nowadays, but to me prosperity would be unlimited access into his kingdom. And as I was studying this out and thinking on this topic, uh, I begin to see how, I begin to come across a scripture where it says, I pray that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. And at first, I thought it ironic that he didn't say, as your spirit prospers. Because, I mean, don't you think you would want to be as prosperous as your spirit? But the thing is, your spirit doesn't continue to prosper because it's perfect. It is Emmanuel, God with us, Christ in me, the hope of glory. That's my spirit. So your spirit doesn't need to prosper. But he said, I pray that you would prosper, gain this access, even as your soul prospers. Why your soul? Because your soul is your mind, will, and your emotion. It's your character. So what he's saying is, I'll prosper you and give you this amount of access when your character can handle it. So, so the prosperity we experience in the kingdom is not actually based on my spirit. It's based on my soul. Because your spirit is perfect right now. Are y'all with me? I know it's getting late. I'm wrapping this up. So what it is, is God is saying, as your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions, as it begins to prosper, as it begins to grow, as it begins to take on moral excellence and knowledge and, and all these things, as it begins to come up, then I can allow your spiritual prosperity, your prosperity in the kingdom can come up with it. Because God's not going to put you in a place that your character can't handle. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians. I'm sorry, I have to get this to y'all. There's a scripture in 2 Corinthians where Paul said, you're not restricted by us, you're restricted by your own affections. See, the problem is most of us are living restricted in the kingdom, and it's not because of God, and it's not because of the people around you. You're restricted because of what your, your affections are. That word actually means what you're attached to. So what you're attached to has put a restriction on your life. And you're restricted because you're, you're, so, you're, you're so affectionate towards something that is not what he is called. This is why he penned, set your affections on things above and not on things of this world. Because as your affections become on the things above, then the prosperity comes and the restrictions are limited, lifted and you become unrestricted based on the fact that now you're attached to something above you and not something around you. Y'all with me? Let me get somebody to come up here and play some music. Maybe I'll stop. One of the reasons I am convinced that God is stirring hope within us again is because where he's calling us, what he wants to do in us and through us, through life, church, in our community, all the things that happen, they can't happen without our character going up with it. God will not promote you beyond your character. So maybe if you're in here this morning, you're thinking, man, it just feels like I'm stuck where I'm at. Like I can't be, I can't elevate no higher than this. And I feel like I'm restricted. There's a cap or something. There's a good chance that God is holding you at the level of your character. And you haven't been able to, by hope, see yourself 
the way he sees you. And begin to declare over yourself what he is declaring. And in that hope, connect to it with your faith and take on a personal responsibility. During this fast at the first of the year, we're pushing, giving you resources, podcasts, books, all these things that feed your spirit, that grow you, that allow you to bring your character to the level your spirit is at, that allow you to elevate these things in your life, but it's your responsibility. That's why in the kingdom, two people can be next to each other, living pretty much the same life, And one can be experiencing so much in the kingdom and one not. It's because of personal responsibility. It's it's having a hope in me that motivates me into a place that by faith I begin to respond accordingly. It's hope, guys. We need some hope restored in us so that we begin to live seeing what God has called us to be. And when you see it, now we know by 2 Peter that by your faith, you begin to add to it some things. Add to your life. Supplement into your life. I don't know about you, but I could, I could use an upgrade in moral excellence, in knowledge, in perseverance. I don't want to get stuck where I'm at. I don't want to live restricted on this level. But I want to prosper even as my soul prospers. And I want to gain the unrestricted access into his kingdom. I know this is going to be weird and out there, but I don't even care no more. Do you know that the Bible tells us that there are trees in heaven with leaves of healing on them that are ours? So does that tell me I should be living in a place where I have enough access to go up there and get that and bring it to the person that needs it? But our our lack of hope has kept us down here. It's kept us on this level. I want to live with such a hope that I begin to dream big again. Some of you have let your dreams just die for a lack of hope. Because it didn't happen the way you thought it should and life didn't go like you thought it would. Remember we started this whole thing with the man who brought his son to the disciples to have them healed and the disciples couldn't do it and we see his hope decline. He tells Jesus, I brought him to be healed but you know, they couldn't do it so if you can do anything and that's kind of become our lives. God, it didn't happen like I thought it would, you know, so if you could just do, if you could just make me comfortable through this thing, you know, maybe it'll be all right. And we've let it come down, guys. But God's restoring some hope in some people today. God's going to restore your hope and you're going to begin to dream again. You're going to have, begin to have big thoughts again. I heard someone the other day say, if you feel like you're adequate enough to do what God has called you to do, then clearly you haven't seen what he's called you to do. Because when you see how big it is, you'll realize how much you need him. Most of us don't experience that because we're not hoping for that. We're okay with this little life that we have. And I make a good living, and I'm a decent person, and one day I go to heaven. That's so hopeless. Can you see that from a hopeless perspective now? It sounds so good. And in our southern culture, we've made that the idol. Make a good living, be a good person, and go to heaven. And God's saying, you missed it totally. 
you missed everything I'm calling. It's supposed to be huge. You're supposed to have an impact. That's what we're called to do, church. I want to do two things uh, for this altar call. First and foremost, if you're in this room this morning and you're not a born-again believer, you haven't had that relationship experience with Jesus Christ and you want to be born again, that is the most important thing that could happen in this room is for you to have your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. It is the most important thing. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask Colby and Lacey to just kind of come up here maybe to my left, somewhere to the side. And if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus this morning, I want you to come over here to one of them too and pray with them. I'm telling you, don't let embarrassment, fear, uncertainty, anything keep you in your seat this morning if that is you. You need to be born again. It is the greatest life you could ever imagine. So these two are over here that would love to pray for you. Secondly, if you are in this room and you say, I feel hopeless. Come on, give it up for him, guys. This is why we do everything we do. It's so that heaven can rejoice over a child brought back home. If you're sitting in this room this morning and you say, Josh, I have become hopeless. I have let my dreams die. I've just let it all fall down and I thought I was doing so good, but I'm not living with the hope that stirs my faith. I want you to come up here this morning. I want you to come up here and we are going to contend together that God begin to restore hope in your life. Thank you for listening to Life Church Podcast. For more information, go to lifechurchofcolumbia.org.